1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Like, There's one scene in particular where I was being strangled. But Even just having a a man's hand around my throat, it it was a little bit scary.
0: Delighted to welcome one and all Gina Jones.
1: Is an actress known for her work in various television and film projects. She was awarded the Daytime Emmy Awards.
0: She has the lead role in the new film called Sun Also Rises. And did that manifest itself through an illness or was it just something that gradually sort of overtook your hearing, if you like?
1: So I had a car accident and my eardrum burst. You know, I went to the doctors and they said that, you know, my hear- uh, eardrum would, would heal and my hearing would come back. But it didn't. The story focuses on my character. Um, her name's Ray and just the struggles of her life, really. You know, she does suffer from domestic abuse.
0: Welcome to Second Chance Podcast, I'm Raphael Rowe, your host. This show centres around the concept of second chances, examining who deserves them, who is in a position to grant them, and what they represent. We feature guests from all walks of life, including those who've been given second chances, as well as those who may be deemed undeserving. The film, The Sun Also Rises, due out later this year, portrays the life of Ray, a woman trapped in an abusive relationship as she struggles to escape the cycle of violence and its effects on those around her. With Gina Jones in the lead role, it's a story of strength and resilience, both on and off the set. Despite losing part of her hearing and suffering from tinnitus after a car crash, Gina refused to give up on her passion for acting. She persevered through the difficulties of hearing directions on set and feeling out of place at social events, proving that she is a true fighter. Gina's dedication to raising awareness about the challenges abuse victims face in her new film is a testament to her character and spirit. Through her portrayal of Ray, she shines a light on the reality of domestic violence and empowers others to take action. Gina's success is only the beginning and there is no doubt that her talent and courage will continue to inspire many. The first thing I wanted to ask you about is your acting career because I know that you have a film in production at the moment if not post-production or whatever stage it's at and I know that you've been in previous films so just tell me first what this new film if you can talk about it tell me what this new film is about because then it gives an idea of the type of actor you are or at least in this movie it does.
1: Sure so um, the film is called The Sun Also Rises it's due for release later this year. We've still got some additional ADR work to do on it, but um, yeah, I think it's sort of a December release time we're hoping for. And the story focuses on my character, um, her name's Ray, and just, just the struggles of her life, really you know, she does suffer from domestic abuse and kind of just see how that affects her and all the people she comes into contact with. So yeah, it's a heavy hitting film and British cast and just really excited about it, to be honest.
0: Have you been in a film similar to that before?
1: No. And the kind of roles, it's not the sort of role I normally get put up for. So I remember when I got the script, it came through sort of, it was my birthday weekend and, The email came from my agent about sort of five o'clock on a Friday and they just said, attaches the script, you know, pick two contrasting scenes. And in my head you're just thinking, Really, on a Friday, do I want to read a whole script? So I got my iPad up, went upstairs and was kind of reading through it. And it just grips you, you know. Um, it's got a female lead and just the way it's written, you know, Roland, our director, put a lot of work into this and developed the script and it gripped me and I was just excited you know to film the tape and it was hard to pick you know which scene you were going to show because you wanted to sort of show her her progression and yeah I obviously did a good job because I got it and we were filming within sort of I think a couple of weeks so I was so nervous but I didn't have that time to be nervous because there was just so much work to do between you know getting the job and, and being on the set you know
0: how, how does someone get a role like that I mean for a person like me who has no understanding of how somebody like yourself gets a role is it through an agent as an agent so sort we'll of put you up do you get the script read it and say yeah I'd like to put myself up so how did it come about that you got involved in this film
1: So in this case, it was through my agent. There's a website called Spotlight, which most professional actors are registered on. And often they'll put jobs up on there and then agents will apply. So for actors, it's kind of there's layers, you know, you have to audition to get into drama school. And then once you're in drama school, you then try and get an agent. And then once you get an agent, you have to work to try and get an acting job. So you're always kind of jumping through hoops and I think Roland went directly to my agency and kind of it came through and you read for so many jobs, you know, and you just don't hear back and, you know, I I saw this and I thought, please, and I thought, no, no, I'm not going to, you know, pin my hopes on it because, you know, it's a lead role and it's got an amazing cast and sort of did it and forgot about it. So when I got that email, I just, yeah, I was over the moon
0: what did you have to do to cast yourself i mean what what was it they expected of you and how do you do that do you i mean when when i see it on movies you see the individual standing on a stage in front of three very self important people looking at you reading from the script or performing in a certain way and then they kind of roll that person off and on comes the next person and they just go through so many different people until there's that moment that kind of ethoria moment where they say that's the person is that what it's really like is that what it was like for you
1: I think prior to lockdown you know you'd go into a room and there'd be a panel like that and you would do the audition but with lockdown everything's become virtual so you sort of spent two years auditioning in your bedroom just talking to yourself and it it was hard to get someone else to read with you because often you only have sort of a day's notice for this audition and you need to find someone to come and you know come over and practice lines with you and stuff so for this one it was it was just a zoom zoom audition.
0: Is it easier to do it via Zoom because there's a distance between you and the people and you can sort of prepare yourself and then go for it? Or is it easier to be stood in, I don't know, on a stage with the panel watching you because you can express yourself more, can't you? You can get across, I'm sure, a lot more of your character or the character that you're casting for.
1: I mean, I miss, I'm a people person and I miss being in the room with other actors and, and, and being in the room and just doing the audition. But I've kind of got quite used to uh, the Zoom audition life. You know, you haven't got all the traveling into London. And yeah, I don't mind. Um, I think we'll probably end up over time. Hopefully it'll end up back how it used to be. But we'll see.
0: You said it all started when you went to drama school. How how did that come about? Was it something that you wanted to do, wanted to be from a little girl that, you know, I want to be an actor because you saw someone who inspired you in a particular film or show and you said, that's what I want to do. Or was it, you know, a parent bringing you to the stage every day, some drama school, like some do take their boys or girls to football or netball. How did it come about that you wanted to become an actor?
1: So I was painfully shy as a child. I mean, I was bullied quite a lot at school. I was the only person of colour. I mean, there was, I'm sure people have had it a lot worse, but there was definitely a, a racial element to it and it just kind of crushed me. But I think I'd always had a love of it. I mean, my dad always tells this story. When I was little, I loved Disney films and I would recite a lot of the, the film. You know, I'd be doing all the different characters and one day we were out shopping and I was doing, uh, I think it was Sleeping Beauty and there's a bit where maleficent says stand back you fools and at 3 years old i sort of proclaimed this to my parents obviously they knew what i was saying but there were people passing just shocked uh, that this little 3 year old was so rude but you know that wasn't the case so i think there were always elements that i definitely loved performing but i was i was so i was bullied so much that it just made me so shy And it was only sort of, I think I was about 14 and I joined a local drama club and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I just completely came out of my shell and we weren't good. You know, we did some shockingly awful plays and I remember this one play we did and we had this sort of school bus that we built on the stage and we had the script hidden just to make sure we were doing it right. And someone said a line about 10 minutes in that was from the second half. And the whole play, we were just trying to put it back together. But it, it was such good fun and such a good experience for me. And I think from there, I kind of made that decision that everything I did, I was going to try and move forward in that direction. And I didn't know how I was going to get there. But I just knew, you know, if you do one small thing over time, those, those small things, they help and they, they build you up to get to kind of where you want to go.
0: But before you got there, you talked about being bullied at school and experiencing racism, being the only person of colour in your school. What was that like? I mean, lots of people talk about being bullied at school. Lots of people talk about being racially abused. But as an individual, what was it like for you and where was that coming from? I mean, where did you go to school? In England, I presume? Was it in a remote area where people were racist? Was it in London? So
1: I went to school in Essex. um, That's where I'm from. And that's where I grew up. I mean, I'm mixed race. So my my mum's black and my dad's white. And as a child, you know, that's just, it was just normal to me, you know, like people have different colour hair, people had different colour skin. And we had friends who were all different races. And it wasn't something I even really you know naively didn't think about as a child and then it was only when I went to school that it was such a shock that people had a problem with it and it just it was hard it was really hard and there was no one else at the school that kind of really understood what it was like but you move forward and but it was hard
0: it's an interesting one i mean i'm mixed race myself only the other way around my mum's white and my dad's black and um i i always i always remember the kind of racist language that my parents would use when they argued which sort of prepared me for what i would experience in the outside world so when i heard people call in other people are black this or a white this. It meant nothing to me because it was normalized in my household. You know, my parents loved each other, yet they used these terms when they were arguing, meaning no harm, but it was just par for the course. How did it shape your character that you are today, then going through that experience of being bullied and experiencing racism?
1: I think it's a being mixed race, it kind of gives you a, a unique view in some ways you know because around at school where I was the only person of color I was black but then you'd sometimes be in a, a black community and you're not black and sometimes people want you to, to pick one and it's like I, I can't pick one I'm, I'm equally both and I mean growing up it was really hard and even little things like if I remember my mum tried to take me to get my hair cut and the lady was just like and she didn't mean it in a horrible way but she was just oh oh, we we don't do that sort of hair here you know she didn't know what to do and you kind of internalize all those things you don't necessarily think about what that meant you just start thinking that there's something wrong with you or uh, there was the gymnastics team and all the little girls had their hair plaited and you know the lady she was white her children were white she didn't know how to do my hair and so what I went on with, you know, this big frizzy halo, you know, and people say, oh, your hair looks bad or whatever. So just little things like that. But I think now as an adult, it's just given me such a, a thick skin. Um, in this industry, there's so much, so much of it is rejection and it just you just don't take it personally. And I think it's um, definitely given me an inner strength for sure.
0: The role that you play in the new film that's coming out soon, being the victim of domestic violence, was that an easy character to play? Uh, do you have any of that experience in your own life that you could draw on or is it something you had to create as part of your character?
1: So prior to Once I knew I had the role, I did as much research as I could online really it's an important story and I wanted to really you know do the character justice so I mean I did as much preparation as I could and I didn't realize how prevalent domestic abuse is Um, and especially during lockdown you know I've been privileged it's not something I've ever thought too much about but yeah it's a it's a massive problem and as much as I prepared myself for the role when I was actually doing some of the physical scenes, like there there's one scene in particular where I was being strangled, and i was in I was in a really safe environment. We had an amazing coordinator who'd gone through everything, so I wasn't really being strangled, but even just having a man's hand around my throat it was it was a little bit scary. um and again, I knew I was safe and I was working with a phenomenal actor. Shame was really you know really great to work with but it just for a moment I just had a sense of you know what some people go through and it's harrowing.
0: What do you take away from a movie like that because you've done your research beforehand so you can understand what women and men who suffer from domestic violence go through to some extent and then you've got to play a character and as you've just described you know going through a physical moment where people go through that in real life What do you take away from a film like that? Or what do you, more importantly, deliver in a film like that so that when a viewer like myself watches it, they come away thinking, what? What is it that you're hoping the film will deliver?
1: I mean, there were some days after filming I'd go home and I would cry. Just it had taken such an emotional sort of toll on me. But I think, I hope that people come away from this film and they realise that they're not alone and that it, I just hope it gives people hope that there is help. Yeah, that's the main main takeaway.
0: If you were to describe the Gina Jones today, how would you describe yourself?
1: Oh, I would say Gina Jones hasn't changed that much. She's, she's still that shy, shy girl from um, Essex, but she doesn't take any prisoners now.
0: How can you be shy? You're an actor. An actor is... In my book, I think somebody who kind of shines because they can take on different characters and be different people, and you have audiences from everywhere watching your every move, your every facial expression. How, how can you be shy when you're an actor? But
1: that's the thing. You're not you. I'm not, when I'm performing, I'm not Gina Jones anymore. You know, I don't have to be me. I have everything. I know what I'm going to say. It's, it's, it's a safety. It's a lot scarier being you if, if that makes sense like you play a character and that's almost like a shield it's a funny one because you think you know the stage is the worst place to hide <laughs> but it's like before you do a performance I'm so nervous and the minute I get up and I'm in character that just goes and it's it's the best feeling in the world
0: you say the Gina Jones is still the same Gina Jones what challenges have you faced in life
1: um so a few years ago i lost my hearing in one of my ears
0: and completely or just
1: about 90 percent and i have persistent tinnitus and that that was a game changer
0: tinnitus Um, explain for those who don't understand what that is
1: so have you ever been to a nightclub or like a concert and you know the music's really loud and then you come out and you think gosh what's that awful sound that
0: is uh
1: tinnitus and it never leaves you and it's usually worse when you're tired or you know you've had a long day and it's quiet and it's just there constantly in your ear so with the hearing loss and the tinnitus it makes it quite difficult to hear i mean that had such a profound effect on me I, when i lost my hearing i, I didn't know how i was going to act anymore you know i thought everything i've i've worked for i've sacrificed it's gone it was
0: took a toll and did that manifest itself through an illness or was it just something that gradually sort of overtook your hearing, if you like?
1: So I had a car accident and my eardrum burst and, you know, I went to the doctors and they said that that would, you know, my eardrum would, would heal and my hearing would come back. But it didn't. And it's such a weird feeling having a burst eardrum because it's, it's like being underwater and... You don't realise how much your our hearing affects so many different things, like even eating a bag of crisps, you know, that glorious crunch you get. It's just different, and it affects your balance and, and all sorts. So there was that sort of adjustment period, and slowly my eardrum healed, but the hearing didn't come back, and the tinnitus never went. So it was just a sort of adjustment period, There'd be times I'd go to like a, a loud place and you've hear you hear people talk about sensory overload and it's it's not something I'd ever experienced, but at the beginning, it's the only way I can describe it is it's like sounds physically hurt <laughs> and it's very overwhelming and I'd struggle to be in places where there were lots of noises or if it was like a group conversation because I couldn't hear on that side, you, you know, you'd turn your head and you'd, you'd miss half the conversation. And and I just thought, how am I going to act now? This is it. Everything, everything I've worked for has, you know, gone like that. So, yeah, that was a um, challenge.
0: How did you manage it? How, how did you manage it? Once your hearing repaired itself, but you were now suffering from the loss of hearing and the tinnitus, how, how do you manage that? I mean, you've just described the challenges of going out, socialising and, you know, dealing with that. But how did you manage it so that you could get on with your acting career and you could lead, I hesitate to say, a normal life because people without hearing completely lead a normal life. They sign and do other things. How did you manage it?
1: At the beginning, I didn't, to be honest. I kind of locked myself away, but I had a really good support network. And it was, it was a gradual thing. So I would avoid big groups of people. I'd only meet like one or two friends and they would be mindful and I'd, I'd make sure I sat so they were on my good side and just gradually kind of got my confidence up. I got better at lip reading. And now I just, I compensate. I naturally turn my head more, Just just little things. But I remember working the first time, after my hearing loss and um I was so nervous but I didn't want to tell anyone that I was deaf in one ear because I was scared I wouldn't book the job so I'm on set and the 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 director you know calls action but I can't hear I miss it and then you know they're coming over and they're like oh you know you're missing your cue and and then he yells are you deaf I mean this was a while ago and um I was like Yeah, I am actually. And it felt so good to say it out loud. And there were were no repercussions. And although I felt a bit embarrassed at the time, I shouldn't have. It was a turning point because I felt, you know, I said it out loud and so what? You know, people didn't mind. So then they got someone in front of me. And when the director, you know, said action, they gave me the thumbs up. And so I think, you know, I learned from that that there's, there's no shame in admitting, you know, things you're struggling with.
0: That's really interesting it's really interesting that you tried to hide it in order to continue your work but once you were able to to share the challenge you had in the roles that you played being able to hear the word action do you now when you apply for a job declare do you have to declare something like that
1: I think if there was if I was concerned maybe that hearing was going to be an issue then I absolutely would but I feel like I've got enough coping mechanisms that I don't need to declare it in advance. Perhaps on the day if I'm struggling, I would flag up and say, look, I've, I've got a deafness in this ear. And yeah, but I don't feel like it's something that I go around telling people. To be honest, I don't think I've it's something I've ever really spoken about um, until today.
0: No, and I, I, I wonder actually whether it is. I mean, I wonder whether now when you're in social environments, whether you have to, I mean, I many occasions meet people where they sort of say no I can't hear in this I do need to whatever and so you think well do I have to swap seats or something or speak a bit louder it's sometimes an awkward situation for the person who has just been told but also for the person who's, who's saying it because then you have to I don't know adjust yourself or adjust your conversation to accommodate what's it like for you
1: that's interesting because i'd never I never actually thought of it from um the other person's point of view. I think at the beginning i didn't necessarily like mention it because people often i think thought you were joking like it was like a passing oh, i'm a bit deaf, you know people say, and I'd be like. No, no, I am. I'm actually, I, I can't hear you. And during COVID, when everyone had the masks on, it was a nightmare. I could not hear anyone. I,
0: I couldn't either, so you're not alone. <laughs> and I suppose millions <laughs> of other people couldn't either.
1: Um. Gosh, yeah.
0: Is there any advantages to it, though? Boyfriend saying something, can't hear you, I don't want to know what you're saying. Or you, know? <laughs> well, you turn your head that way so you deliberately don't have to hear he or she going on about something there must be some advantages to it because you know it's not a bad thing it's not a negative thing there is positives in I mean the tinnitus now that's something different because I suppose that's a different kind of challenge but then we all have challenges in our own way in some way shape or form but are there any advantages
1: advantages I mean I always think what God gives with one hand he takes with another you know I think even in the worst things that happen to us we might not see it now but we learn you learn something from it and i think you know in some ways it's given me an insight onto what it's like to 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 live with different you know disabilities as such i mean i'm really good at lip reading now you know i could watch someone across the street and i could give you a good idea of what they're saying
0: really That's why the footballers on television cover their mouths, don't they, to avoid people like you seeing and hearing what they (laughs) say. I suppose that is an advantage, isn't it? Because it gives you a skill to compensate for your loss of hearing. And that's something that I don't have. I mean, I like to think I can read a couple of words, swear words, and the odd kind of I "I love you words or whatever. (laughs) But it really depends. So that in itself is an advantage. And where would you say you're at with it now? Because you say this only happened a couple of years ago. Are you kind of through, I hesitate to say the worst, but I mean, are you through the challenges where at first you felt awkward about having to mention it before you got on stage or then you did? I mean, where are you at with it now?
1: I think I'm in a good place with it. I've made peace with it. I'm able to to compensate well enough. I mean, if there's a big group of people, I do find it tiring sometimes just because you you have to really focus on the conversation and, you know, trying to keep abreast of it. But at the beginning, when I thought that my acting was over, you know, to go from there to where I am now and I've got my film coming out, it's, um, yeah, I've I've made peace with it. I still, you know, I've got two ears, still got one good ear. So um, as long as that one's working, we're all right.
0: It's quite inspiring, really, because I suppose there are people who may be listening to this who find it might not be the loss of hearing, it might be the loss of being able to use a finger or a hand or something. So these disabilities that we all have in some way, shape or form, none of us are perfect. And we have to overcome. And by hearing your story, hearing how you took advantage of, I said advantage, but didn't allow it to slow you or stop you, it might have interfered with your progress for a little bit whilst you came to terms with it. But look, you're back up there, you're, you know, still doing what you love, you know, and will go on to do what you love. What would your message be to people who are facing a similar kind of challenge not necessarily a loss of hearing but there was a moment in your life where you just said you didn't know whether you could go on acting and there will be people thinking I don't know whether I can go on playing tennis or football or doing the things that they love simply because they've had a problem that might interfere it didn't with you what what do you say to people
1: I would say that I was stubborn at the beginning I thought that I didn't need to talk about it and I, I would say talking and getting help from other people, whether that's just having someone listen to you or I had a little bit of therapy, which at first I thought, oh, I don't need therapy. <laughs> but the lady who I worked with was just really good at understanding kind of the challenges I was having and just helping you think about it in a different way. So I would say don't do it by yourself and just, just just talk about it. It really helps.
0: I don't want to bang on about your hearing. But now I just want to ask about the tinnitus. Because you're right. We do come home from nightclubs. I've done it many occasions. I'm laying in my bed drunk as a skunk. My ears are <laughs> ringing from the music. I can't wait for it to stop. And sometimes every now and again you get that sound coming to your head. But to have it consistently going through, how do you manage manage that or is it it becomes a part of your hearing and you don't hear it unless you're having a conversation with someone like me who's reminding you of the sound <laughs> that you hear I mean yeah. how does that work
1: I mean it's it's always there and for me that was the thing I was struggling with the most I was almost getting into a panic that I was never going to hear silence again which is I sound silly but it was just this sense of I'm never going to have a moment's peace and quiet and It was this one thing that the therapist said to me. She said, but we never hear silence. She was like, you can hear your heartbeat. You can hear your breathing. It's just your brain is not focusing on those. And that small thing she said, that shift in my thought, it made such a difference. (laughs) Sometimes when I'm ill, it's really loud and I'll just try and focus on something else. At the beginning, I learned how to knit So like a granny, I just sat there and I knit this massive blanket. Not only (laughs) grannies that knit, you know. (laughs) Apparently not. (laughs) Do you knit? I don't, no. (laughs) But um, it it really helped to just, you know, because I'm not very good. I had to put all my focus into, you know, making these little granny squares. Yeah, I think that that was a real game changer for me.
0: And is there no cure for, for that illness, if it's an illness, I don't know how you describe it, disability illness, whatever it is. Is there no cure? Is there nothing that these kind of high-brow surgeons or people can do to, to deal with the problem, if it is a problem?
1: Yeah, not that, not that I'm aware of. There doesn't seem to be a cure at the moment, because it's not really there it's there's not really a ringing sound it's just something that my ears perceiving oh really so hopefully i mean it can just go away (laughs) i don't want to put too much hope on that but you know one day i could wake up and it could be gone i'd still have the hearing loss but the you know, that might go. And Um, does it,
0: when you're just living your normal life, like you and I are having a conversation now and you're concentrating on the conversation that you and I are having, so it's not the focus of your thoughts. So it's probably not as prominent as in when you and I finish this call and you go to the toilet or you're laying in the bath or laying in bed, it could become more prominent because your focus is relaxed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I do hear it all the time. I don't think there's ever... A point where it it completely goes but it it fades sometimes it's not the loudest sound in the room and generally if I'm busy or or when I'm acting I don't hear it which is really nice because you're so focused on so many other things that it, it fades away
0: I love the idea that that you've gone through these challenges and it's not stopped you pursuing your career as a as an actor what's your ambition? I mean, you're in this movie and I suspect that, you know, you will continue to do the acting that you love. What's your ambition? What is a, I don't know, an actor's ambition? Where, Where do you want to be?
1: I would like to, I'd like to cross over into America and I'd like to be in a position where I could help other people. I could help other people just achieve but, you know, that, that little girl that wants to be an actress and it feels like it's too far away, I hope that I can inspire her to follow her dreams. It doesn't even have to be acting, but just inspire people that if you want something and you work hard and you make those, like I was saying earlier, it's those small little steps. You might have want to do something and it seems so unachievable, but if you put in that work and you do the little steps, one day, all those small steps will amount to something and you you can get there.
0: And is there a particular role you'd like to play? I mean, you play a, a domestic violence victim in your latest film, but is there a role that, I don't necessarily mean for a blockbuster film, but a particular character that you would like to play? I mean, is there an ambition there?
1: I mean, I have to say... I never would have thought I would have got a role um, like Ray. She's, it's such a journey she goes on and that's such a gift to an actor because you get to play a character in all the different parts of their journey and their life and she goes on such a a journey, you know, the highs, the lows, and you kind of, I don't want to give anything away, but you see her at different points in her life and that was such a dream role for me um, to, to get that. So just more more good writing, yeah, more, more stuff like this, please.
0: Do you have to change? You know, when you're when you're taking on a character like that, do you have to I know you have to not be Gina anymore and you have to be Ray, the character that you're playing, but does your whole appearance have to change? Do you have to look different? I mean, I know there's makeup and all that. I'm just intrigued by when you take on a character and they're asking you to play this woman, for example, is it based on a true story or is it just fiction where, you know, the story's just been written, the script has been written based on what people know about what people suffer from domestic violence? How how, how much of it can you be you as opposed to the character you're playing?
1: I think for me, there's always elements of yourself in that character. You know, there'll be bits you can relate to and i think you really when you're in character you know some of the scenes were so heavy that actually has a physical and emotional weight on you you know you i remember there was a scene and something horrific had just happened and i was just walking i was just slow because you were carrying the weight of what had ha- what has just happened to her on you and I think you do your research on the character, you understand what's going on in the scene, and that, that physically just changes you. You know, if, if she's just won the lottery, she's going to be skipping off to the shoe shop and those kind of changes. I think your brain just, you feel it in your body and it's very um, tangible.
0: When you're not doing your day job acting, what, what, what do you do? What does a non-actor do when they're not acting?
1: Oh, I have done every job under the under the sun. I mean, I've worked from, I've worked as a waitress, a photographer, baby entertainer, face painter, makeup artist, really? event manager. I mean, my CV, PA. Uh, you know, one day you'll be working, you know, Formula One, and then the next day you'll be scrubbing dishes in a kitchen. I have done so many different jobs. I think those jobs that-
0: characterise you, right? It makes you realise that there is a whole new world out there and people are doing this, you're not doing it right now, but people are still doing those jobs, and they're important jobs, you know, we mustn't undermine the work that people do, and you've been there, I've done certain things, but I've been very fortunate in, in my career, well, not before, when I was in prison, but after prison, my career has been phenomenal, so I haven't, but I was doing the washing up today, so I haven't forgotten. The <laughs> kind of. Do you think those, those everyday things to exist builds character
1: oh without a doubt and I think you, you have to develop such a vast range of skills because just to survive you know to be in London and afford to be able to go to auditions but you also need to be flexible because you get a you know an email from your agent and they're like you know 12 o'clock tomorrow you've got an audition for such and such and you can't have a, a normal job because you wouldn't be able to get the time off so as an actor you're always juggling a million different things. Um, just, just to get by. And I think you meet a whole host of people and often when you're playing a character, it will be loosely based on someone I may have you know, worked with or someone, a, a customer or something. So it does give you a, um, a, a good selection of people to um,
0: portray. How, how long does a, a role like that last then? I mean, from beginning to end... How long were you having to go either to the studio or to the location, wherever it was being shot on the day? How long does something like that last? Because I always, as a journalist myself, I go off on location, I do my film. But, but people think you're doing it 24-7. They think you never stop. I mean, I don't in the terms of the work that I do. But how long does a role like that last, you know, for something to be shot? So the whole
1: film we shot in about six weeks. and And people always say, oh... Being an actor so glamorous and and they think that actors just lie and say no it's not really glamorous but I spent I kid you not four weeks in a travel lodge and I was I remember turning up and I'm a creature of comfort and as you know travel lodges are very basic and I literally I packed a mini fridge I had my tea, I had a hot water bottle, dressing gown, and I turned up and the staff were just laughing at me because I had these massive trolleys. And we were shooting some days, you know, your call time might be 4 a.m. in the morning and then you'd be shooting till, I mean, you know what it's like filming and you, you know, midnight, 2 o'clock in the morning and then it's your sleeping pattern's wiped and it's cold. And, but, I mean, I love it, that's why I do it. But, um, yeah, it's intense.
0: And I suppose, again, it, it's all about the character, isn't it? Because if you're prepared to dig deep like that to do what you love, this is the side of it that not many people get to see. They will only see the movie itself and watch the character, but they don't see what goes on behind the scenes, pulling along your little fridge or getting up at four <laughs> o'clock in the morning and then going to bed at midnight and doing the the same thing the next day. Is it tiring? Is it tiring on your mental health as well as your physical body?
1: Yes, I think. But I mean, I love, I love every part of it. I think the harder thing is when you're not working and you're between jobs. I think it takes a real toll on your mental health because you just, you're constantly getting no's sometimes and your friends and family will ask you and they mean well, but they're, you know, oh, did you get that job? And you're like, which one? (laughs) You know, it's, it's hard. people say things to you the classic is why don't you do extenders and you're like yeah they ring me every week you know those kind of things are hard to juggle but it's part and parcel
0: but sometimes it takes being in a particular film that you don't know whether it's going to be successful or not somebody sees it they love your character or they like your personality and one thing leads to another um so there's Plenty of time, but there's just so many actors and actresses and whatnot going on out there, isn't there? I suppose there's a lot of competition for every character, every role that is popping up on Spotlight or agents are casting characters for. It must be really challenging. Um, Was there ever a time where you thought enough is enough, you know, beyond when you lost your hearing? But I mean, when, like you say, it's really tough in between jobs, you know, and constantly getting no's or not hearing back. From whoever it is that you're hoping to hear back from. Has there ever been a time when you felt enough is enough, I need to go and, you know, keep my job at this restaurant or whatever it is?
1: I think for me, I just couldn't see myself doing anything else. It's I feel lucky that I've found something that I love and I'm too far in now. I couldn't go back. <laughs> so yeah, for me I I there was yeah, there's apart from when I lost my hearing and that's why it was so difficult because I really thought it was over but other than that nope
0: <laughs> when does the movie come out
1: I think towards the end of the year so November or December release we should get a date soon
0: and when did you finish filming
1: it was November last year in Spain right
0: so almost a whole year before the film comes out that's a long time is it because you're excited you finish the film and then you've got to wait a whole year I know what it's like it, it I work on the Netflix series and it It's the same thing, you know, we shoot all year and then a year can go by before the the season actually drops, although it's a bit shorter than that because we film for the whole year. It's not a six-week shoot or something and sometimes it can drag on. What's that like, the in-between? You know, you finish the shoot you've done the best that you can, you know, it's got to go into the edit, and it's going to take forever long for them to do the tricks that they do to make it the movie that it becomes. But what it's, what's it been like since November, knowing that it's not coming out until November, it's almost like you've forgotten what you did.
1: That's exactly it, because you start moving on to other projects, and, and you're busy and other things. And then you think, oh, gosh, what did I do? Please let it be good. You know, there's this this fear that I can't remember, you know, what I did in which take and, and what they're going to pick. So, oh, I just pray, you know, I've done a good job for the story and that people love it and and most of all that it, it helps people. That's what I really, really want to come out of this film. So,
0: It does sound like a very, very powerful film. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where, you've turned down roles because of the characters they want you to play?
1: In the past, there have been a a few things I have turned down. Sometimes it's been because there's been a lot of nudity um, that I felt was just gratuitous. It it, it didn't, I don't feel it added anything, particularly when I was younger. I went to a convent, so um, I was brought up by nuns. And I remember booking this job and it opened with this this sex scene. And it was, I mean, I was probably only I think 18 and I remember it and it said that the character, the male character, let out an animal war or something. And I was just blushing and I was on the train and I was thinking, oh my gosh, all these people could see me naked. What will Sister Margaret Mary think of me? <laughs> and I, I rung my agent, It was like, I can't do it. And, and they were lovely about it, but um, yeah, it's been a, a few.
0: That's really interesting actually because I'm under the impression that even when there are those movies where there is a lot of nudity, or a lot of sex scenes just for the sake of it, you know, um that it's all part of the acting, you know, gay scenes where the individuals that are playing characters are not gay but they get so intimate you think that they enjoyed kissing each other, two women or two men or and I think I think that it's part of that character. So whether there are nude scenes, but I suppose you do have to have a line, don't you? There has to be a line. And if you grew up in a convent, it's <laughs> going to be even more thicker for you, I suppose. Do you still think that now, though, and maybe a few years on? I mean, it's obvious that there are roles where you say and I think you hit it on the head there where you sort of said it doesn't add value and I think that's where some people get caught out don't they they go and do it because they just they might need the money it might be that they think this role is such an important role that it gives them a springboard to do something else but you obviously have strong views about what you are prepared to do and not prepared to do because you're a very attractive woman and I suspect that lots of those roles come in your direction for that reason or does it? I don't know.
1: I mean, I'm getting a bit old now. So there's there's fewer of them. But um, I think, even with hindsight, I look back and I think now I'm older, would I still turn that down? And I think so. You know, there's sometimes there's been roles, particularly at the start of my career, where they would just, it was just they wanted to have a, a some, some nakedness or nudity on the screen. And they write you one line and why is she naked there's, there's no reason and I mean each to their own but for me I just I just think oh gosh my mum's gonna see it I'm gonna have to say to her look mummy this is why it was really good okay don't watch this bit you know even my mum was like about this film she was like are you naked in it Georgina and I was like no I'm not naked mummy it's good it's good <laughs> So, um, yeah,
0: and do you think having that stance has not not for you personally or for mummy, but I mean, <laughs> do you think having a, a strong stance where you're not prepared to do certain things, not prepared to take your clothes off in certain films? do you think it has hindered any part of your ambition to do what you do?
1: I mean, possibly, I mean, who knows, you know, maybe you don't know where something might lead to who's directing this might direct something else. But I would hate to do something where I look back and I was upset with the choices I made. So I'd rather, I'd rather take a bit longer or, you know, go a different route, but feel happy in in the choices I've made. I'd I'd hate to regret I did something. So for me, this is the right, the right choice.
0: That's a good thing. And just to end, My podcast is called Second Chance. Not everybody has a second chance. Not everybody embraces or gives a second chance. What does second chance mean to you personally? And what do you think about giving people a second chance?
1: For the reason, I think everyone deserves a second chance. I think sometimes the hardest thing is forgiving yourself. You know, we've we've all made mistakes. And for me, the hardest thing is that self kind of, you can forgive yourself and then you can move on with something. I think that's important. Um,
0: What's the biggest mistake you've ever made?
1: Oh, <laughs> oh it's the end now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I don't even necessarily, for me, I I feel, I don't believe in mistakes per se. I feel, it sounds cliche, like, but I feel like they're lessons, you know, even stuff that I might, you, you always learn from everything. So do you, as you're a, what's your view on second chances since you've been doing this podcast
0: i i think it's interesting because i learn something different every time i ask someone the question i mean there's a lot of similar question answers i i I always struggle with the view that people don't deserve a second chance and it means different things for different people would you give your cheating husband wife a second chance in a relationship where you've got kids you know would you give someone a second chance if if they stood on your toe walking along the street of course you would because you know all they have to do is turn around and say sorry and you've accepted that apology it's a difficult one but I do I do appreciate that everybody's entitled to their own values morals or what they believe should be a second chance or forgiveness people use it as a forgiveness but we all do make mistakes and i do believe that people should be given a second chance even a third or fourth chance it depends on their circumstances doesn't it It really does come down to who we are and what if you're on stage and you trip over during a really important scene that they've just spent tens of thousands of pounds on making happen and they have to go back and do it again That's a second chance. So it can mean different things in different scenarios, in different situations. You know, um, you could term it like that. So I'm a strong believer in second chances, not necessarily forgiveness, but in second chances. Gina, thank you so much for coming on my podcast and sharing your story with us. It's been lovely talking to you. And I, I hope that the film goes well. And I hope the character that you play does do what you want it to do which is give people hope and let people know that they're not alone because it's such an important story isn't it talking about domestic violence you know people witnessed it experience it we know about it it's often hidden away from society it has been I mean domestic violence as a crime has only been recognized within the household in recent years you know a man or a woman could set upon their loved one in their own home and the courts and justice system wouldn't do nothing until not that long ago 20 30 years but now it's it's far more prominent so I'm sure films like the one that you've made to highlight you know the challenges not just I suppose from the victim side of point because I'm sure it also portrays other sides as you said at the very beginning so I I hope the film does does well for you and it's a springboard for you to get that role that you want to take you to <laughs> LA and do the things that you want to do. So thank you very much for coming on and sharing your story.
1: Oh, it's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Second Chance podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. You can find the video of this interview on our YouTube channel at Second Chance Podcast, where you can also subscribe to be notified of new episodes. Please share our episodes with your friends, family, and colleagues and follow us on YouTube and your preferred podcast platform for updates on new episodes. Your feedback is crucial to the growth of this podcast, so please rate and review our episodes and let us know your thoughts in the comments section. This podcast was brought to you by Second Chance Media Productions. Audio Avalanche handles audio editing. j Roe Productions created the original soundtrack. Studio Minerva designed the eye-catching cover. Social media marketing agency Scribble manages and creates our social media content. And if you haven't already, please follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook and LinkedIn. Just look for the Second Chance Podcast with me, Raphael Rowe. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.